Welcome to The Key to Carowin, a work of original fiction by Wendy Fair. Key to Carowin is narrated by Mason Fair. The Key to Carowin, Chapter 3, Imaginary Friends I waited. Time moves so slowly in your world, although no human seems to think so. I do. I know. Days in my world are endless, but days in yours are interminable. Our time moves in undulations of ebbs and flows, carrying with it the very scent of existence. But not yours. I hate the way time moves here, linear like oily water trickling down a culvert. Only moving forward, never bending to stop and tarry for a moment, never returning to its former place. One moment at a time, one glimpse, never to be savored again. Time is undoubtedly dying here, a thick choked and agonizing death, largissimo and plodding, without progress, penetrating only a very thin layer of sentience as it moves along. One is pulled in its unalterable current, always forward, never changing course, forced onward to destinies one cannot escape, and with no way of reaching shore to avoid the deep plunge of the waterfall, only to be dashed on the rocks below. One could drown in your time, and one eventually does. Yet for you, time does move just enough to be noticed, to bring about those changes that would come whether you wished them or no. And so it moved on for the woman. Her time was coming. An opportunity. An opportunity for what? To end him? To change him? To do nothing? To let him become what he would in this empty world of little choice and even less self-determination? to let him become what the world would make of him? Horrid thought. Worse than any of my plans for him. As I have said, I cannot see the future. I have no way to determine my route with any certainty, no way to decide what to do with him. The risks were many on any course of action I might take. Risks do not help a person make decisions. Quite the opposite, in fact. Here, at least, risks change with the flutter of a butterfly's wings. That much I know, and that much is true. Best to let fate decide. I do not believe in fate, of course. That was a figure of speech. I am always somewhat amused when humans talk about fate as though there were some cosmic force responsible for keeping everything spinning, for keeping all the balls in the air. What prodigious rot. Life turns on the thin dime that falls out of your pocket when you are fishing for something else. You don't know what causes the turns of your destiny, but you certainly must endure it nonetheless. Fate is simply another word for consequence. And consequence has and always shall be the one thing you will attempt to deny.
No, fate would not decide what happened here. I would. Ironic, really, given that was the reason he sent me here. This was my job, after all. Perhaps a small push and a shove to test the waters. Another figure of speech. Just to see what the response would be. Such things are easily arranged when one does not have to rely on fate. The scene. The woman standing at the stove stirring a steaming pot of vile-smelling herbs. She winces suddenly and pauses. She waits. Another wince and a clutching. A dropped spoon and a splatter of blood-red sauce across the yellow linoleum. A rush from the kitchen. And it has begun. The thing has a sharp metallic scent to it that burns in my nostrils. I exit the house and make my way outside. There are, after all, other details to tend to. I do not quite get to them, something I would later regret. It was because of her. She was there when I reached the end of the yard. No, not the girl. The one talking to the girl. She had found me. She had found him. But she was far too late. Things were set in motion, and I was convinced, very much determined quite some time ago. But sadly, I cannot see the future. Things would have gone much differently if I could. How can I describe her to you, to you of little conception and even less comprehension, to you who has never tasted true light, nor smelled the darkness with any vehemence, to you who does not know the emotions left in the wake of genuine color? She was not anything you would understand. The light treated her with deference. It knelt, it bowed, it danced, and it streamed before her. It cloaked her with royal robes going before and trailing behind. It revealed all, illuminating her from within and driving out all fear. The brightest spring day, the deepest, most still and peaceful summer's night. She was that moment when you close your eyes, turn your face to the sun, and let its warmth still your cares and strivings. She smelled of clear water. She was the colors of solemn joy and of exquisite pain. She stood beside the girl, something not entirely unexpected yet certainly troubling. I moved closer, staying in the cloying shadow of the tree, listening. The girl did not notice her at first. The girl sat on the curb, scrawling in the mud and dirt with a stick. She spoke to the thing that was a toy in her hand. Now, Daisy, she said, shoving the molded piece of plastic towards the mud, this is the flower you live in. The girl paused. She looked at the toy. Right, she seemed to reply. 
the one next to the fairies. She stepped forward, stooping to catch the girl's eye. Undignified, trying to engage these creatures. Hello, she said. The girl looked up. Hi, she chirped. A smile. She smiled back, a beam, a bright light. What are you playing? Her voice, a rush of a wind chime. I'm drawing the place where Becky lives. The girl thrust the toy at her. She looked at the drawing, another flash of brilliant light. That's wonderful. I should introduce myself. My name is... I know your name. It's Aeoli. A name the girl did not understand. A fairy tale name made of a feeling and the music of the sounds. You haven't the language to comprehend what these names mean. A pause. Then, yes, that's right. How did you know? The girl made a face at her. I'm not really sure. I think I guessed. Or maybe I heard the name before. It's a good name. A whispered laugh, the sound of the wind. It is. What's your name? My name is Abby, the girl said. Want to draw with me? My mom says I can't come in until lunch. She doesn't feel very well. Of course, I'm not really supposed to talk to strangers. But it's okay to talk to you because you're imaginary. I am? She replied, with a twinkle and another glimmer. Well, sure, we don't have princesses around here. And if I asked my brother, he wouldn't be able to see you, right? No, he wouldn't, I'm afraid. Good, so we can play then. I would like that, she offered. A calm as she sat beside the girl and stirred the ground. Serene silence reigns. They played in the dirt, with sticks. It never ceases to amaze me what simple activities humans find diverting, how crude their creations, how remedial their written words, how coarse their amusements. How can you stand to be so bound by such unsophisticated ideas? And yet you thrive in the bog of it, rising above that to which you were born and strive for that which you cannot even conceptualize. And yet, your endeavors hang by a precariously thin thread that may snap with the slightest change in the breeze. Still you wrestle with things you cannot see nor understand. You are like spiders in fragile webs. Seconds from being shattered as china saucers, and still you toil. What are you? I kept a close eye on things after that. There are, of course, the details of the thing to shepherd, but aside from that, her presence is troubling, and the way she speaks with the girl. The girl had never seen me, and yet she saw and spoke with her. A situation required monitoring. The next time I check on things, she is there again. A late summer's afternoon, a heavy sun 
filling the blue of the sky to an almost real color. The air pressing down with its heat, broken only by the cool shade from the trees all around as they pushed back against the burden of it. The trees, pillars holding up the sky, a mound of dirt to sit on, a puddle large enough to pose as a lake. Fluff and Bill and orange feet bobbing on the ripples. Dirt brown and sunflower yellow faded a duckling. No, get away from it, shrieked the girl. I turn to look at her, but she merely darts past me, a panicked flailing, hands flying, feet stomping, a dodge and a dart, the swish of a hastily grabbed branch, a flick of a long tail, and the vanishing of an orange streak. The girl is still, breathing hard, trembling at the edge of the pond. Satisfied, she sits in the dirt, and she appears. She startles me with the suddenness of her arrival. It's lost, the girl says, pointing to the duckling. Perhaps, she replies. Its mother left it. She had to get the others away from the cat, or they all would have been lost to it. Stupid cat. No, simply a cat doing what it was made to do. A scrunched face. I should take the duckling home. Gently. Can you feed it? Can you care for it? Can you do all that its mother would have done? I can try. I think we should leave it to see if the mother will come back. The cat will have it as soon as we're gone. Look, the girl pointed. It's hiding under that bush. Orange does not camouflage well in greenery and dirt. The telling evidence of the loitering cat was plain even in these earthly shadows. Well, do what you must then, she says with a sort of sigh. Coaxing, calling, scooping, a mist grab, a squawk and a frantic flapping. The duckling is in the hands of the girl. It's so soft, the girl whispers. A touch, a mild smile. Yes, she says, it certainly is. I'll call it Puddles, the girl announces, satisfied. Another scowl at the almost hidden feline, and a determined march home, the duckling in both hands. Dull-witted creature. She came and went. I stayed, lingering through your interminable time, watching. The girl's plan did not proceed as intended, even though I had done nothing to alter or interfere with the course of things. I didn't have to this time. A sloppy tear and a wet sniffle. The duckling languishing in the small hands of the girl. Its head drops to one side. A hiccup and another squelchy drop splattering to the floor. It's dying, the girl said plaintively, looking up at the woman that was her mother. We have to take it to the vet. We can't. We don't have time. The doctor called, and I have to leave for the hospital. Now. 
but a tragic face crumbling. The girl fell silent, her words giving way in the wake of her sobbing. The woman grabbed at clothes, stuffing them into a bag, not looking at the girl. Why don't you take it outside and let it go? Maybe it can find its mother. It will die. The cat will get it. The woman stopped and looked at the girl. We can't deal with this right now. Go outside and let it go. Her mouth pressed into a line. The girl's face twisted and she nodded. Outside, large, gloppy drops of rain, cold on bare arms, blown dry by the curious breeze. The girl walks to the edge of the yard where it meets the line of bushes and the edge of a much smaller now puddle. The girl frowns forlornly at the duckling. Suddenly she appears beside the girl. I thought she might. It's like her to do something like that. What is the trouble? She asks. More sniffles that become tears, that become sobs, the words squeezed out in between them. The girl sags into the folds of her sunlit skirts. She draws her in. I almost turn away from the intensity of the embrace. My mom has to go to the hospital, and I have to let Puddles go. But I know he'll die. Choked out between sobs broken and spastic. It's all right, she replies quietly. I will take the creature. I will make sure it finds a good home. The sobbing ceases. A tear-stained face looks up. Promise? The girl asks. Certainly, I promise, is her sincere reply. She reaches for the thing, and the girl discharges her responsibility unwillingly. Go now, she instructs. Back to your mother. The girl turns and starts toward the house. She stops and looks back. I have to go to my grandma's house for a couple of days. Will you come tell me how Puddles is? If you wish, she responds, holding the fading creature in both hands, hidden from the green eyes of the girl. The girl scampers back to the house. I stay. I watch. She bends then, opening her hands, setting the duckling on the ground by the edge of the shrinking puddle. The thing sags and crumples, squishing down on the mud beneath it. She only stands, looking down at it. A silvery flash at her feet, a breeze the color of a summer sky, and flowers in a grassy meadow, the smell of peace, and the duckling vanishes. She smiles, a self-satisfied smile, and is gone. Listening to Key to Carowin, a work of original fiction by Wendy Fair. Key to Carowin was narrated by Mason Fair, with original music provided by Serena Fair. 
For more information about this and other projects, please visit shifterspress.ca. Thank you for listening.